Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome back to another episode of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. Today, I'm joined by Maria Yakmachuk. Maria is a perinatal mental health provider with Amirati Counseling in Deerfield. We are recording today on July 6th, 2023, and this is episode nine. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. You are so very welcome. Would you like to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and your children? Yeah, sure. So my name is Maria Yakimchuk, and I work at Amirati Counseling. I'm a perinatal mental health specialist, but also a family therapist as well. Uh, I have two boys. One is seven. His name is George. And I have another boy who's four and a half, and his name is Levi. Okay. If you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? So I would describe as we strive very hard to have a, the more authoritative style where we, you know, provide a lot of warmth and connection, but also hold them to kind of a higher standard and hold them to rules. But I will put the emphasis on strive because it doesn't mean that we always do it correctly. Yeah, it, it's extremely hard to stick to just the one thing day to day to day. That's yeah. for sure. Without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of? Uh, so I'm a millennial. Okay. And would you describe how you were parented and if that is different than how you parent your own children? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was parented in this very kind of inconsistent authoritarian style is what I would describe it as best, where there were a lot of rules. Sometimes I didn't know what those rules were before, and they would just get slapped on me and I'd get basically slapped with consequences without knowing that I would get slapped with consequences. There'd always be these standards for me that I wasn't always aware of. And then there would be times where things would just slide and I didn't know why. So I lived in this kind of weird space of always being kind of anxious and alert and having to read my parents of like, well, when's the shoe going to drop? Is this going to be okay? Or is this not going to be okay? So that was kind of how I was parented. We're trying our best not to parent their kids like that, but it's hard to get away from those patterns, to be honest. Yeah, it sounds really stressful. So you're kind yeah. of trying to go for the core of it, but with just more consistency than would you say? So we do try to provide consistency. You know, one of my children is neurodivergent. So consistency is extra important in our household. Um, but we also try to come in with a lot more warmth and love and empathy because there was a lot of, in my upbringing, what was missing as well, there was love that love was never on my terms and kind of my wishes were never respected it was more love on the adult terms and we're trying mm -hmm. really hard to give our kids the space to express their feelings to show us how they want to be loved not necessarily do how we want to love them but we still have rules and we need to keep safety in mind because with having a neurodivergent child we have a lot of behaviors that interfere with safety so there are rules that need to be followed but we also try to empathize give space for feelings and just you know accept them as the individuals that they are which I feel like I didn't really get as a kid so yeah. And it's really hard. I realize the longer that I do this job, it's like, you really have to parent the child that you have and they become, you become the parent that they need. So mm -hmm. with a neurodivergent child, you're going to have one set of uh, issues or, you know, structures that you need, but then the other child is not going to need the same thing. Mm 
So in yeah. order to find that middle balance to be able to support the parenting style that you feel comfortable with, but also be able to support both your children equally, that's a lot to juggle. Yeah, it's hard. And I mean, you know, we all know neurodivergence comes from somewhere. My husband is neurodivergent. So you can imagine having a household when one parent is neurodivergent, the other one's neurotypical and having kids who are different. It's a lot to juggle and struggle and consistency is it's hard. I bet. I bet it is. Can you describe the work that you do for those that may not understand how you help new families? Yeah, absolutely. So I focus on helping moms with their mental health, which means a lot of the moms that I see are in their postpartum period, usually within the first year. But I also have a lot of moms who are many years out of their postpartum period, but haven't dealt with the trauma that was brought on by motherhood. And because I'm also a family therapist, you know, I see people in all sorts of ages, and I have to include kids in my therapy as well. So I work with the whole family, but I love focusing on the mom because I feel like a lot of the times if we support the mom, she then gives the support to the rest of the family and a lot of the other kind of issues fall away. Hmm. That is really interesting. So she's kind of like the top of the triangle. And if you can, yeah. if you can take care of her, then it'll kind of encompass everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think she's sort of like one of the most important people in that system to help support. That doesn't mean other people aren't important. It's just, you know, I always bring my family therapist background into my work, even when I'm working with my clients individually. But especially when they're moms, I always know that it's not just about them. There's kids in there, there's a partner in there. So I have to hold all of it there when we're doing our work. I took a two-day course with Perinatal Support International, and I was surprised to learn that truly up to four years postpartum is when they say that you can still be experiencing issues, which, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised it went to that age of the child, I think, because I feel like that's when you really are hitting your stride and they're talking and there's a lot of hands-on parenting going into it. And but I really liked the idea that it wasn't like, okay, your baby's a year old, you should be absolutely fine. And yeah. I could see where there's issues, even if there's, you know, childhood trauma that could carry on throughout parenting and how important it would be at no matter what age your child is just to get help if you're struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, I have moms who are way out of there postpartum period were still struggling because they never had the time to deal with the issues that came up when they became mothers. And yeah, I mean, I think it it does seem staggering because we're all kind of used to this like six week postpartum check. That means you're good to go. But really that not only is your body not good to go, your mental health needs years to recover. I know that, you know, from my own experience, but also talking to my friends who are moms, I'm noticing that for most people, it hits somewhere between 18 months and two years when they start feeling like they're okay again. But we also know that we love having kids with smaller age gaps. So you might end up feeling like I'm just hitting my stride you get pregnant again and you're starting over again. So I feel like that time compounds and you'll also need more time to recover after you have your second child than your first. Cause I kind of felt that too, where with my first one, I was started kind of coming out of it when he was two with my second at two, I was still struggling quite a bit and not feeling it until he was probably closer to four, I would say. So I think that that four year kind of held true for me personally. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. What is your favorite thing about the work you do? I love seeing my clients make strides and feeling empowered in their own life and their own journey, because I think a lot of the times 
moms come in to see me, they're either struggling with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, or just general burnout from life and all the mental and physical load they're carrying. And then realizing how they can actually find power within themselves and seeing them start thriving instead of surviving because they're finding that power. They're learning to delegate and communicate with their uh, spouse, they're learning how to prioritize things, make time and space for themselves. And then you just kind of see them blossom and uh, discover the women that they are now as their moms, because now they're a little bit different than they were before. And it's okay. So that's, that's the best seeing them thrive. Yeah, I always joke around that you're like in the 2.0 operating system. Now <laughs> you can't go back. But you know, you have been upgraded. And it truly yeah. is an upgrade. Yeah. What is the biggest challenge with the work that you do? The biggest challenge is sometimes, you know, it is a system, right? It's not just the mom. So if you're encountering a situation where the partner isn't on board with the changes, it makes the process harder and slower. So it just makes it a little bit more difficult, not impossible, but not having supportive partners definitely makes the whole process harder. And then also if you're extending it out to extended family, like, you know, mothers-in-law, fathers-in-law, or even your own mothers and fathers who are actively involved in the mom's life. And then you're seeing that this whole system is bringing the mom down and she's the one who has to support herself. It definitely makes the work slower and harder. Yeah, I, I bet. I remember during the pandemic thinking like, oh, this is amazing. Like all these virtual services, <laughs> you know, because it would be so hard to have people have time to get in to see a therapist or be able to, you know, what am I going to do with the baby? I mean, even I had gone and held the baby for people before so that they could go to therapy. And so, but then it was interesting when I talked to other mental health providers, they would say, oh, well, I mean, I guess that that was good, but the problem is it doesn't seem like they're able to focus enough because mm -hmm. they are at home and they don't make the space for self-care. So what is your opinion about that? I'm just curious oh. because I like to, you know, have a really good robust list of providers that do both, because I think it's important if you really truly only can meet virtually, but as like a mental health person, what do you recommend for people? So I think I recommend whatever works for their life, because if we can't get clients in the door because there's issues with childcare or there's just issues leaving the house, then we have to meet people where they are. I'm personally very pro telehealth services. I have clients who I do telehealth with because they can't find childcare and if I told my client that you have to come see me in the office, I wouldn't have her as a client. And, you know, I care about helping people and providing a service. And so to me, if I lose a client because they can't come in, like I'm making a disservice to that person. Sure, being in person is great. Having that space is great because that's right, moms don't have the space to take the time out for themselves to go do this appointment. But if that brings undue burden, she's not getting any better. She's just not getting any help. So I meet my clients where they are. If they don't have childcare, we're meeting uh, virtually because she's still getting the help. She's still getting the support. Um, the one place where I probably draw the line with virtual is family therapy with kids. Just because until a certain age, like having a kid on the computer, you're not making strides. So that's the only one. But when I'm supporting moms directly, when it's just individual therapy, absolutely, I will meet them where they are. And, you know, I'm also the kind of provider, like if they'll bring me the baby and that's the only way they can come see me, sure, I'll hold that baby. Because, I'll just hold your baby. <laughs> yeah, I'll just hold your baby. Like I have no issues with that. That's one of but the perks I, of the job. Yeah. But I know people, I know there's a lot of people who are kind of against this like telehealth model. And I know that myself as a mom, uh, you know, when I work with my provider, I'm very excited when they have that telehealth option, because then that makes it easier for me to see them while my kids are still at home. 
and I wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. So yeah, I'm very pro telehealth. Since you're a licensed professional for family therapy, do you also work with just dads? Rarely. I haven't actually had where just dads come in. And partially it's also the way our office is set up because we have male therapists and we have female therapists. Mm. A lot of our male uh, clients like to go work with the male therapist just because of sort of the energy and they feel more heard and more understood. So usually when I see dads, it's either as part of like the family therapy or if they come in for couples work. Yeah, that's great to know. I'm going to have to add that to my referral list then because it's very hard to find people with a lot of referral sources for the dads and the partners. It's very hard. Did you always want to be a parent? No, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I love the honesty. Yeah, no, I was the person who never wanted to be a parent. And then like hit me in my late twenties of like, it was as if like someone, you know, turned on my biological clock and said, now you have to be a parent. And it was just like an all consuming thought. (laughs) Really? That's fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that answer because it's so honest. So many people will be like, oh, of course I did. But I mean, yeah. really, not everybody's in that space all the time. Nope. <laughs> At what age of your child do you think that you really start parenting? I mean, I think you're parenting from day one. It's just uh, different types of parenting. You know, uh, when they're newborns, it's all about survival, right? It's all about meeting their physical needs and having the safe space. And then as they grow, you're changing from that into these more kind of more emotional spaces and holding space for them. I don't think there's ever a point that you're not parenting your child. Okay. Um, We've kind of touched on this, but you do have to parent your children differently. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you parent them differently? So we try to institute rules that are kind of fair, but equal, like, for example, like with our neurodivergent son, we allow a little bit more space for him to say that, like, you know, I melted down and like hit my brother because, you know, my brain feels like it's fried, right? Like he has ADHD. So he has a lot of these emotional dysregulation happens every day and it's severe, uh, whereas then with our son, even though he's younger, but he is, you know, he doesn't have that issue. We try to keep him a little bit more accountable and it's hard. It's hard to try to institute rules that are equitable, but still a little bit different to meet everybody's needs because they obviously look at each other and being like, well, he didn't have to do this and he didn't have to do that. Right. So you're managing a lot of like the sibling stuff. You're managing a lot of, well, this child needs a little bit more needs. Like maybe he needs something sensory and maybe he needs something else. And then you also have the younger child who's like, he's parenting his um, big brother and he does the same behaviors. And we have to get down to his level and be like, you can't actually do this because you're not experiencing it to this level. So let's figure out how we can help you to not get to that level because your your brain is working just fine. You're just doing this because your brother's doing it and you know that that gets attention. So it's a lot of juggling and it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult with any siblings, but when they have different needs, it's even harder. It has to be. And also just the ages too, you know, four mm-hmm. and seven, there's light years of difference between those two <laughs> ages. Absolutely. Well, so that's the thing, Chrono- like chronologically, yes, developmentally, no, because because of the ADHD, there's a little bit of that developmental lag, and our younger one is actually quite advanced for his age, so they're actually, a, like, 
uh, milestone wise, they're a lot closer to each other, but chronologically, yes, they're different. And so they could do different things, but it's, it, it's hard. It's definitely hard because, you know, younger siblings always want to do what the older ones do. And sometimes our younger son ends up trying to do some physical stuff that then he falls and hurts himself. And then we have to, you know, take care of that because, you know, his brother can do it because he's bigger and stronger and he can't. Hmm. What is your most embarrassing parenting moment? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I feel like if I had one, I probably blocked it out of my mind. And I'm probably <laughs> sure there's so many. Oh, no, actually, I know one. <laughs> it was when our eldest was like a year and a half, maybe two. I can't remember. And he fell asleep in the car and we went to Costco. So we, you know, transferred him gently into his, um, you know, stroller. And he was still somewhat asleep. Um and but then a car drove by that was really loud and just like basically rattled him out of the sleep and we could not console him we like took him out of the stroller and he runs up to the wall at Costco and tries licking it as like a way to self-soothe huh. and we have this lady like an older lady seeing us that we're struggling with him and I understand she was being kind and helpful but she comes up to us and being like oh, he's so distressed. Like, have you thought maybe about allergies and things like that? I'm like, lady. Oh my gosh. Car woke him up. Oh, we can't get him to calm down. Like, get out of here, man. It's, it's like, you're embarrassed because somebody came up to you. Also, like, my child is licking walls at Costco because he can't regulate himself. And then you're just like, I don't know how to handle this. <laughs> right. And I have to be nice to you when you're giving me unsolicited parenting advice that I didn't exactly. ask for. And you're not yeah. really helping right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's not allergies. He's one and a half and he got startled out of his nap and he can't regulate himself. So yeah, that that's probably one of the ones that sticks out. I'm sure there were way more, but that, that one sticks out. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> if you had friendships when your, especially your first child was a baby, how important are those friendships to you now? And do you still keep in touch? So we do, we also, we also moved from where we had our children. We had our children in uh, Charlotte, both of them. And then we moved a couple of years back, uh, like two years ago, we moved to Chicago. Um, we keep in touch with the people as much as we can, but again, being in different States, it's a little hard. Everybody's really busy. So it's more like check-ins and just talking. I'm, um, keeping in touch with some of my kind of friends that I've had earlier in my life that as a teenager or early twenties and sort of talk with them and lean on them a little bit more. Um, but they're, I think they're very important. All of these friendships and talking with people is so important because I think it's really easy as a parent to get isolated and thinking that my child is the only one that's doing this. The problems that I'm experiencing with my child or with myself, I'm the only person in the world. And when you talk to friends, you're like, Oh, I'm not the only one. Okay. I'm not crazy. This is just life. Yeah. I think it is really important too, because there's so much doubt and there's just so much mm -hmm. self-doubt all the time. And whether it's from yourself or from others, it is really nice just to hear people, if nothing else, just sympathize and just say, oh yeah, I had something like that happen. Or, oh, you think that's bad? Let me one up you with this story, you know, <laughs> and, and it just, you know, just to bring some humor and flexibility into it. Yeah. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? Uh, so I see gentle parenting and this like conscious parenting as the biggest trend. And I think it's great the way we're going. I think it becomes a little dangerous when you have neurodivergent kids because you realize how a lot of these strategies just simply won't work for them because leaving your neurodivergent kid to sort of work out and feel all of their emotions is only going to 
uh, spiral them out into a full meltdown. You have to be able to come in and kind of stop some of these emotions. So you, it, I feel like you have to, you have to parent the child in front of you. Right. And I think with a lot of this advice, with the gentle parenting, it a goes against of how we were all raised. So we don't know how to implement it because we've never seen it because we had the opposite of it. We had the sort of the authoritarian uh, way of being parented. So we can't relate to it. So we're kind of going into it blindly and then we're end up mixing styles of like mixing this kind of gentle parenting with authoritarian parenting. And it doesn't work because they're in complete conflict with each other. And then people get more frustrated. And then a lot of parents kind of realize they don't know how to deal with their own emotions. They can't self-regulate. How can they help their child regulate? So I think it's a great way. It's a great idea. It's just still kind of hard to implement for people and it's can be a little bit dangerous for somebody with a neurodivergent kid because you realize that they need something different than mm -hmm. what gentle parenting provides i can even just see certain personality types respond better to a little bit more structure mm -hmm. than non-structure yeah. and vice versa right that yeah. would re, you know that would re respond a little bit better to more of a gentle way but um, that's a really interesting answer. I haven't gotten that one yet. And I'll have to think about that one a little bit because I feel like on some level, I do see that in terms of like, kind of like the kids are more in charge, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but I wonder kind of where the root of that is, is the root of that in the person's own self-esteem with parenting, or is it truly like the goal that they've set out to accomplish? I think it's the goal they set out to accomplish because so I've been sort of in this uh, maternal space for a while. So before I went back to, you know, to therapy for a little while, I was doing blogging and I was sort of in the mommy blog space for a long time and meeting other like moms through that. And I saw that as a really big trend for like the last like seven to 10 years, this kind of gentle parenting trend. Um, and I think what happens is it becomes almost like a cult for people because we want to get away from the way we were parented. So I think a lot of us like millennials, like older Gen Z's and um, maybe to a lesser extent, some of the younger Xers um, who are dealing with like, you know, teenagers right now or, or kids in middle school, right? Like we were all parented in a, in an, a lot more authoritarian style and gentle parenting is completely the opposite of it so we're completely unfamiliar with this and when we read this it becomes this cult of like you know I have to do this with my child so my child can avoid the trauma that I had with me and then we do this completely 180 and maybe it avoids some of that trauma but we also don't know what else it's creating because it gentle parenting can be great and there's a lot of kids who respond to it really well but then you also then hear that you have these kind of kids who have issues with emotional regulation because the one thing in gentle parenting you need to be able to do is teach them how to emotionally regulate you can't just leave them to their own devices and I think while some people understand it they can't necessarily execute it so I think gentle parenting becomes it becomes almost like this cult-like mentality but then it's hard to execute it and so people sort of get into trouble and fall into this more permissive parenting trap and we know that creates its own issues so it's I think there's no perfect in parenting each generation and each kind of era has its own and something is bad and something is good about it so it'll be interesting how this comes out and sort of what our kids are going to do when they're going to be parents hmm, that's a lot to think about <laughs> what have your children taught you the most about being a parent um I think they taught me that 
uh, being a parent is, you know, I always thought it was going to be difficult just because I'm pretty self-aware and I knew my own limitations. I always realized it was going to be a difficult journey for me, but they kind of made me realize that parenting is not something you could ever fully prepare yourself for because you don't know how you're going to react. You don't know what kind of kids you're going to have and you can do all the prep work ahead of time and still show up to sort of the exam of having this child and be like, feeling like I failed because I couldn't anticipate X, Y, and Z. So it's all about that you have to live in this, I can never be prepared and there's no right answer to pretty much any problem in parenting. Hmm. So for our final question, what is your biggest parenting advice to share with new parents? So I think my biggest parenting advice is do not strive for perfection or believe that there's only one right way to do this. There's different ways for different people and even parenting different children can look different in the same family. And also know that you are not 100% responsible for how your child turns out. There is a mix of nature and nurture. You know, they come into this world not as blank slates. They have temperaments. They have their predispositions. Then they mix with their environment, which is, you know, us, the parents. And sure, we influence, but we are not 100% responsible for how they turn out. So, you know, take that whichever way it means. It's like some of the bad stuff we do won't affect them as much, but, you know, some of the good stuff we do won't affect them as much either. And that's okay. Like we need to know that they're individuals, their own individuals. We want to do our best for them, for them to reach their full potential. But that look is going to look very different for each person. So, you know, don't beat yourself up and don't strive for perfection because there's no perfection in parenting. I think that that is awesome advice. <laughs> And, you know, there's no perfection in ourselves either. So yeah. us striving or, for that with our own parenting is even harder because those okay, little yeah. variables are extremely variable. Well, we yeah. are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us for episode nine of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. And thank you to Maria Yakmachuk of Amirati Counseling in, located in Deerfield. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Lisa, for having me.